0: Jesus Christ disciple maker where we're looking at Jesus Christ and how he discipled his disciples if we want to be disciple makers we need to learn from the master and we're specifically looking at Peter's interactions with Jesus Christ and Peter's experiences because certainly there's a lot written about Peter and we can learn a lot about how we can disciple others and one way I want to encourage you guys is to take out your green insert. this is your message notes. and in learning how to become a disciple maker, I think it's very important whenever you sit through a message like this, that you not just learn for yourself, but you learn to teach other people the same message. So this is a challenge for dads out there or single moms is that this week, Uh, you would sit down uh, with your families and you would uh, go through this story of the Transfiguration. And so as you listen to this message, take very careful notes because you're going to be teaching it uh, to your kids. Or if you're not married, uh, do this study with a friend. Uh, You can get the podcast uh, later tomorrow uh, if you'd like to listen to it or a friend would like to listen to it before you sit down and study it together. But friends, when you take this information and not just to say, okay, let's see what God has to say to me, but let me really learn this stuff so that I can teach it to other people. Now, dads, it's your responsibility to make sure this type of thing happens. Now, you can tag team uh, with your wife and uh, you can go through it with the kids or go through it just together uh, individually. Uh, but what I've done is i put some discussion questions on the back. for you to discuss with whoever you're studying uh, this with. So read through those discussion questions in preparation uh, to study this. So if you're a young person, get together with a friend and go through this. And uh, I think that it uh, will add a whole new dimension. And that's what we're trying to teach is how we can be disciple-makers. So, let's take a look at our passage for today. Uh, It starts out in Matthew 16, 27-28. Remember, we talked about last week Peter's confession. When Jesus Christ asked, Who do you think I am? Peter spoke on behalf of the disciples, and he said, You are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And that was a wonderful moment. In Peter's life, and the disciples, of course, all agreed with him. And then Jesus went on to say, I will build my church. So very encouraging. But then as you continue to read Matthew 16, it gets a little bit discouraging because Jesus Christ is saying that he's going to have to go to Jerusalem and die. And Peter speaks up and says, no, no, that's never going to happen. And, And Jesus Christ says, get behind me, Satan. He never said that to anybody else, okay? But he was being influ- Peter was uh, being influenced by Satan uh, to say something of that nature. Peter just said it out of his own protective uh, feeling for Christ. Uh, but Christ said, "No, no, no! Don't! I don't want to be hearing that." And so Satan, in some way, was using Peter in that way. And he went on to talk about hardcore discipleship. How you guys are going to have to take up your crosses. When they talked about crosses back in the day, they meant crosses, right? Not the ones that hang around your neck. Uh, you guys are going to have to suffer with me. And ultimately, you're going to have to die with me. Well, isn't that encouraging? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, they got a, a, a bright hope for a moment, And then uh, things change. Then in verse 27 it says, For the Son of Man is going to come with His angels in glory. This is what we refer to as the second coming. When Jesus Christ comes with His angels to settle everything, to end this world, and to bring judgment upon people. Uh, And then He will pay each person according to what He's done. That's talking about uh, God's judgment. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Now, that's an interesting statement, isn't it? There are some standing here, some of the disciples, who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Well, how are they going to be around for the second coming? Well, this is where you need to realize that the chapter designations, the verse designations in Scripture are not inspired. (laughs) Okay? They were put there in order to help us to find our way around. So many times people just stop at the end of chapter 16. Okay, well that's my chapter for the day. But it's so critical that you move on to chapter 17 because He explains what He means. So how could it be that some of the disciples would never, uh, that they would see uh, again, the Son of man uh, coming in his kingdom, well, we read in matthew seventeen one and after six days, Jesus took him with him, Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them on a high mountain by themselves. Now, why did He take Peter, James, and John? Well, as we know, uh, that was kind of his inner circle. John was closest to him. Peter and James are very close. they were the first disciples, included with. Andrew, when you look at the Garden of Gethsemane, you see Peter, James, and John, and Andrew praying with Jesus. So, he brought them as the most intimate disciples, and of course, Peter as a critical leader among the disciples. Also, back in that day, to have, a, well, to have something testified as true in a trial, you had to have two to three witnesses. So, that was another reason. You had the two to three witnesses to see what was going on to happen, and also the key reason why he brought them along. And really, I believe the key reason for what we're about to see is to build incredible confidence in their future. To, to build incredible confidence in their future. So I'd say the primary reason for what we're about to read is to build primary confidence. To build confidence in these uh, disciples about their future. So let's take a look at verse 2. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as snow. This is what we call the transfiguration, it's recorded. In several different Gospels, whenever you're studying the Word of God, especially the Gospels, you want to see if there are other accounts in the Gospels. And we see this in Mark 9 and Luke 9. So you want to compare all the different versions to see what you can learn about this particular event. But he was transfigured. The word is metamorphous. He was transformed Now, you've got to realize, Jesus Christ was fully God, and He was fully man. Now, as He walked the earth, He looked like a man, and He chose it that way. Otherwise, it would be very difficult to do what He was going to do. Uh, He looked like a man, and He was fully a man, but at the same time, He was fully God. Well, at this moment, at this moment, the only moment while He was on earth, that He fully revealed His deity. It's kind of like He kind of peeled back His flesh to show the God side of what He looked like. We know that the Bible says that He wasn't that attractive. Uh, But now we see His deity being revealed to these disciples. And His face shone like the sun. It's not like he got a little brighter. <laughs> no, oh, it shone like the sun. Have you ever been inside on a, a really sunny summer day and you walk outside? Oh, like, whoa, whoa. You've got to have to wait, and wait, wait for your eyes to adjust, right? Well, take that kind of experience and multiply it by like 10,000 times. <laughs> and that's what the disciples saw. They, they looked at Jesus Christ. And it was incredibly bright,
1: brighter than we could
0: imagine. And his clothes were dazzling white. Like we see in Revelation chapter 1 in John's vision. John saw this, but it was in a vision. It wasn't in real time, one might say. But they saw it in real time. He showed them that he was deity. Then we go on to verse 2. And it says, or excuse me, uh, well, let's look at Matthew twenty-five, thirty-one. It says, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. So this was a preview of the second coming. That's what the transfiguration is. It's a preview of Jesus Christ coming again with all, His, with all of His angels. And when He comes again for us, his face is going to be shining like the sun. He'll be dressed in dazzling white clothes. It will be an overwhelming scene for all witness it, and everybody will witness it, according to what the Word of God says. It's interesting that the prophets in the Old Testament, when they predicted something would happen years and years into the future, centuries into the future, uh, they would many times also predict something that would happen fairly recently in order to certify that what they said about the future is true because what they predicted in the near future came about. In a sense, that's what Jesus Christ is doing. He's saying, guys, the second coming is just around the corner, and I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you a preview to help you to have confidence that this is going to happen. And that's what he did. He gave them a preview of the second coming. And this is just such an exciting passage because of that. And what type of impact this had on Peter, James, and John was that it gave them confidence. I mean, they were about to enter into the most difficult time in their lives. They were about to see Jesus Christ. Suffer and die on a cross. Uh, Jesus is going to be raised again, but then the church starts, and Peter's a leader of the church. But eventually, in tradition, you have Peter who is crucified upside down, and then you have James uh, who is beheaded, and John who is exiled uh, to Patmos when he wrote the book of Revelation. They had very difficult lives. And I believe that one of the reasons they were there was to give them confidence that in the midst of their suffering, in the midst of their pain, that they knew that Jesus Christ was going to be coming back. And friends, it's so important for us as Christ followers to remember that. In the midst of our pain, in the midst of our challenges, in the midst of a life that doesn't make sense. It reminds us that this is not the main event. That Jesus Christ will come back and that we will live with Him for eternity in perfect holiness and perfect peace the way that God intended us to live in the very beginning. So we need to keep the second coming in mind. It could happen at any time, any day, or any hour, Jesus Christ said. This could take place And so we need to live in the light of that encouraging, wonderful news. Now, in the midst of all this, we see that we have some guests. In Matthew 17, 3, "...and behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with them." So Moses and Elijah show up. Wow! Why would Moses and Elijah show up in this situation? Well, you look at Moses really the biggest character in the Old Testament, the most significant one. He was the one who rescued the people from Egypt uh, through the power of God. He was the one who led them through the wilderness. He was the one who brought down the law. Not only the Ten Commandments, but all the civil law, uh, the customary law, uh, the ceremonial law, he brought down. There's a lot of stuff there that you can read about in Exodus and uh, Leviticus. But he brought that down. He was the law giver. He represented the law. And then you had Elijah. Elijah was the most well-known prophet. Remember last fall, I believe it was, we studied the life of Elijah for about two months. Elijah was a man of courage. Elijah was a man who spoke the truth to powerful people. Truth they did not want to hear. At the same time, Elijah was like us. Remember, he was so depressed, he wanted uh, to die. But Elijah represents the prophets in the Old Testament. So, you've got Moses who represents the law, and Elijah who represents the prophets. Many times the Old Testament is called the law and the prophets. The Law and the Prophets. So that's why they were there. They were representing the Old Testament saints. And they were basically saying, this is the Messiah that was prophesied throughout the Old Testament. It was all for Peter and James and John to witness. It was for their benefit that the transfiguration took place. And of course, It's for our benefit today as we study it. But primarily for them to say, Hey, this is the Messiah. What you said, Peter, is true. And what the disciples believed was true. We are here to prove that. To give our uh, presence to it. It, It's interesting in in the version that we find in Luke 9.31. uh, It says that they were, were talking Who appeared in glory, that's Moses and Elijah, and spoke of His departure, which He was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Well, what are they talking about? Departure means exodus. They were talking about Christ's death. Moses and Elijah were there talking about the fact that Jesus Christ was going to die. And this would remind the disciples that He's not going to be murdered. Jesus Christ was not murdered. He allowed Himself to be killed. He gave His life. It was His choice. And so it was all part of the plan. And I think, again, it was a real encouragement to the disciples as they witnessed this and as they thought about it and as they lived it out throughout the rest of their lives, The fact that they had this memory, that they had this event that they witnessed. When things were so difficult and challenging, they knew that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and that He was coming back and Moses and Elijah had been there and they had given their testimony to it. And the fact that it was God's will. Now again, remember, Peter just said, You're not going to the cross. And here you have Moses and Elijah saying, Well, yeah, you're gonna be you're gonna be dying. Uh, so that was very powerful to Peter. Now here, <laughs> here, here's where Peter opens his mouth. And sometimes that's uh, <laughs> it's it's humorous. Okay, so you got Peter there, and he sees what's going down, and Peter said to Jesus, "Lord It is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here. One for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was just overwhelmed with this situation like any of the disciples would have been. I mean, seeing Moses and Elijah show up and there's Jesus Christ. We don't know what was going through Peter's head at this time. We don't know if uh, it was during the Festival of Booz that month, and, and that particular Jewish celebration was to commemorate how God provided for the Israelites in the wilderness. So what they would do is they would set up uh, different tents, and they would uh, come to Jerusalem and celebrate that, and that's where... These three disciples should have been, but here they were on a mountain with Jesus. So he said, hey, let's have our own celebration of the booze. And we'll set up a booth for each of you. But Peter didn't realize that it wasn't about Moses and Elijah. It was about Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And maybe Peter got back into his kingdom mindset even after Jesus Christ had told him all these hard things, he said, "Well, maybe <laughs> you know this is it. <laughs> this is when uh, we're really going uh, to set up this political kingdom. Now that Moses and Elijah has come." But I think the main reason is that Je- excuse me that Peter was just thrilled to be in this moment. Ever been that way? Think about a moment in your life that you would like to visit again and again, and again, because it brought you so much joy. When I think about moments in my life, the greatest moment in my life was uh, when I met my wife Lori. And friends, I think it's a gift that God gives us uh, of that initial (laughs) attraction that we have with that person. First of all, they have to be attracted to us. You now, sometimes a challenge in my life. Uh, <laughs> you got to find that person <laughs> where they're attracted to you. You're attracted to a lot of people, but uh, you got to find that person who looks back at you and says, "Ah, you're interesting." <laughs> and uh, a person who laughs at your jokes. <laughs> a person who enjoys being with you. A person. Uh, who you think you can spend the rest of your life with. I tell you, when I think back to my days at Moody Bible Institute and and when we were dating there, uh, those were some of the most exciting days of my life. And that's the way God designed it. Now, today I have a much deeper, more mature love for Lori. And we continue to walk after 25 years of marriage working on our marriage, enjoying one another. But there is something very special about that courtship phase that really is a wonderful gift from God. So... I I just think that's where Peter was at. He he was just so overcome and thrilled by this, he just wanted to stay in this moment. He didn't want to go down and suffer. He didn't want Jesus Christ to die. He said, Let's stop it right here. Let's just enjoy what's happening. Now <laughs> I find great humor in this. Uh, Matthew seventeen five. While Peter was still speaking, when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Have you ever been interrupted by God? <laughs> Has God ever shut you down? <laughs> so Peter's going on and on, and all of a sudden God steps and Peter, shut up! <laughs> I've got something to say! <laughs> You got the wrong idea, brother. This is the deal. This is my beloved Son. This is God Himself. Deity with whom I am well pleased. I'm pleased with the path that He's on, Peter, James, and John. I know you don't like the path, but this is the path that He needs to be on. Listen! To him. Now, who is he who is he talking to? Was he talking to Moses and Elijah? No. He was talking to Peter, James, and John. You guys have not been listening to Jesus. He's going to die. Listen to him. Shut up and listen. When you think about God speaking from the sky, you think about Jesus Christ's baptism. There was one situation in John 12. It didn't happen very often. But... Uh, God talked to Peter. <laughs> you don't know, love that. That's what I love so much about Peter's life. I can relate so much. I say stupid things sometimes. Uh, I, I, I really make a mess of things sometimes just with my behavior. and <laughs> You know, I don't hear a voice from God that says, Dan, stop that! <laughs> Sometimes an inner, an inner prompting, but uh, thankfully God has never shown up personally <laughs> to shut me down. <laughs> but as we move throughout this passage, we'll see the grace of Jesus Christ and God as he continues to minister uh, to his uh, disciples. Then we move on to verse 6. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their knees and were terrified. They, they just lost it. I mean, not only do you have Jesus Christ in His deified state, but you have the big man showing up, right? God the Father and the glory in this bright, bright cloud. As you look throughout Scripture, whenever God shows up, there's clouds involved. So when you look up at the clouds this summer, the beautiful cloud formations, the beautiful sunsets... Marred by pollution, I mean produced by pollution. <laughs> Don't think about that. But the point is, is that that's a that's a reminder of God. Remember the Shekinah glory, uh, the glory of God that was over the tabernacle as a as a cloud and a pillar of fire at night. That's God's presence. And here's the bottom line: whenever God shows up in this way, people are terrified. Remember Isaiah, Isaiah six, and God appears and. I, Why? Well, because when you're in the presence of God, (laughs) you feel naked and and you feel very, very uh, sinful. Because God is truly holy and we are sinful. Now again, the, the gospel brings us the unbelievable news that Jesus Christ died for us in order that we might be holy in the eyes of God. But again, they, in this situation, were very terrified. Then in verse 7, But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And verse 8, And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus alone. Hmm. Isn't that beautiful? What we see in this passage is the transcendence of God, the transcendence of Jesus Christ, the fact that He is the Almighty, the Omnipotent, Omniscient, All-Holy God. They saw that, and that's what what terrified them, the combination of God the Father and God the Son. But at the same time, when the light show is over, and Jesus said, get up, it's okay. We see the imminence of God, how much He loves and cares for us in the midst of our challenges and struggles. And when I was thinking through this, I was thinking, you know, we need to continue on a daily basis to look for glimpses of God. Because God is there. We just have to look for Him. Remember, uh, in uh, I forget, the 50-day adventure that we used to do many years ago. We, we would go on a God hunt, looking for God. When, when do you glimpse God? I was talking with an individual who became a Christ follower just in the last couple of weeks, and this guy was so jazzed. Oh, man. <laughs> it was so inspiring. He, was, he said, Oh, man, I'm reading the Bible. I can't believe this. My life has changed. i 61 years old. And he was just filled with the Spirit. And, and I glimpsed God. I got a glimpse of God, of how he works in people's life. That you know, such an encouragement to me. Just the weather outside, man. I'm seeing God all over the place. <laughs> and I, some, some of you see God in the snow. I, I, I see it when it's outside, you know, coming down. <laughs> but creation. A lot of people see God in creation when they're out in creation, when they're out skiing, when they're out in the woods, when they're out hiking. That's when they sense God. Uh, or when they're meditating on Scripture. Of course. Or or when God answers a prayer in their life. There's so many challenging things that happen in our life. It's always important to be looking for God and rejoicing when you see Him in your life and in the life of other people. Because we get those glimpses. And and the exciting thing is that when we're in heaven, we're going to see Him 100%. And what rejoicing will take place at that point. Now we move on uh, in uh, Matthew 79. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Now why did he say that? Well, we talked about that last week. The crowds were ready to take him as king. And if they heard about this, well, (laughs) they would have forced him to be their king. So, until I rise again, don't be sharing this with anybody, even the other disciples, I believe. Then in verse 10, And the disciples asked him, Then why do the scribes say the first Elijah might come? So, I mean, Elijah showed up here. uh, So, what's the deal with that? And this is a prophecy from the Old Testament. Behold, I will... I send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with the decree of the utter destruction. That's why a lot of people thought that Jesus Christ was Elijah. Because again, the ideas we talked about last week, the idea of being a forerunner, doing supernatural things. Jesus goes on to say, He answered, Elijah does come and he will restore all things. And that really was a head shaker for him. What do you mean? He, he's already come. He goes on to say, but I tell you that Elijah has already come. And uh, that really mystifies him. And they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Who is he talking about? He's talking about John the Baptist. Let's go to Luke 1.17. This is when Zechariah was in the temple and he uh, was serving there and he was told by an angel that he would be the father of John the Baptist. And the angel tells him who John the Baptist would be. And John the Baptist will go before him, Jesus Christ, in the spirit and power of Elijah. You see, they missed it. They thought the literal Elijah would show up. But it's in the spirit and power of Elijah that John the Baptist came to turn the hearts of the fathers, to the children, to the disobedient, to the wisdom, of the just, to make ready for the Lord a a people prepared. Now, uh, the Jewish leaders had made a big deal about Elijah and how he was going to come and he was going to set up the kingdom. He was going to crack heads together. He was going to make the earth a wonderful place before the even Messiah came. So when John the Baptist showed up, they said, well, that can't be Elijah (laughs) <laughs> he didn't fit the bill. So let's go back to Matthew seventeen twelve. 12. It says, But I tell you that Elijah has already come, John the Baptist has already come, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. Well, they, they took off his head, right? Herod did, as we talked about last week. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. So Again, he predicts his death. Then in verse 13, then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. So, how do we apply this? Well, let's take a look at Titus two eleven and 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. And we move on to 13. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we're to wait for the second coming. We should think often about the second coming, that Jesus Christ is going to be coming, coming back. It could happen at any time. And how should we live in light of that? Well, let's go back to Titus 2:11 and 12. It says in verse 12, "The grace of God, the Holy Spirit, trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. God wants us to live godly lives through the Holy Spirit. We are to pursue holiness. We are to pursue becoming like Jesus Christ only through the power of the Spirit. We read in Romans 12, verse 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, there's that word metamorphosis again, by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. So what's a practical way that we can continue to... Ask God to empower us to be holy. Well, Ephesians 5, 3, and 4. This will be a good one for discussion in your families. But sexual morality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, or crude joking which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. In our sex-saturated culture, there are so many things that are said. There are so many things that are depicted on TV and the Internet that are not holy. And we need to take this verse uh, to our families, to our friends, and talk about, hey, how is God leading us to be more holy in what we listen to, in what we watch, and what we look at?" out on the web, and also in what we talk about, the jokes that we tell, uh, our language, swearing, uh, that is how we grow in holiness. So as we wait for the second coming to come, the confidence that we have a much better life in the future, we need to be asking the Holy Spirit to work out holiness in our lives. So we move on to these discussion questions. Again, this is what you would do is you sit down with a friend or sit down with a family. Uh, after you've gone to the passage, and I hope you've taken careful notes so you can uh, explain this. Uh, describe what happened to Jesus at the Transfiguration. What was the purpose of the Transfiguration? Where do you see glimpses of God in your daily life? Uh, how should we live in the light of the Second Coming? Uh, why were Elijah and Moses there? Why did John the Baptist come up in this, their discussion? And what are the practical ways we can renew our minds? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this (laughs) very powerful and life-impacting passage. Reminding us that we always need to keep our eyes on you. We need to dwell upon you and celebrate you. And then at the same time, we need to be anticipating that you'll be coming again. And that gives us hope in the midst of the daily tribulations that we experience. And Lord, I pray that we would desire to be holy. And we can't do that on our own. It's only because of who we are in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that gives us the strength. But I pray that we would seek holiness to please You. In Christ's name, amen. have yeah, our verses come forward.